Last week, a spectacle unfolded as the titans of social media were summoned before Congress, a confrontation that had many of them barely escaping with their reputations intact. It's a moment that has prompted me to reflect deeply on my own journey with social media, from the nascent days of MySpace to the sophisticated, all-encompassing platforms we navigate today. As an early adopter, I've been mesmerized by social media's capacity to connect me with a kaleidoscope of people all over the world, strangers who become friends, friends who become informants, each connection weaving into the rich tapestry of my digital life. Yet, as a parent, it's a little different. This is something that is making me worry quite a bit. Uh, while on the one hand, I'm relatively lenient as a parent, and I let my kids use social media in ways that I think others wouldn't, at the same time, there's a stream of cautionary tales and research findings that flood my feed, and it's impossible to ignore. This duality of mirrors a larger societal tension, the quest for digital connection versus the potential pitfalls that such an endeavor brings in an era when online interaction is ubiquitous. We've been caught in a tug-of-war between the undeniable benefits of social media, opportunities for learning, empowerment, and global community building, and the stark shadows it cast from isolation and anxiety to a distorted sense of self measured in likes and shares for our young people, for our kids. We're going to talk about that all today on The Citizen Stewart Show. Welcome to The Citizen Stewart Show, an education podcast where we dive deep into the top headlines and add new perspectives about our schools and our democracy. I'm the host, Chris Citizen Stewart. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And here's the news. Let's discuss some of the education news, democracy news, and other things that have come up during the week. The first one is that we need home economics now more than ever. It's an article in Salon that talks about the evolution of home economics, this traditional school subject that many of us benefited from, but many of us have forgotten about. It began in the 20th century with conventional views on domesticity, but it has since transformed into what it is now today. My kids take something called life skills that is a combination of home ec and other kind of life topics like uh, consumer sciences and family sciences. Uh, this shift actually was a part of a broader societal thing. Over time, we've changed our roles. You know, we're not seeing, you know, very specific gender roles anymore. So now everybody can take it and it can be good for everyone. Ravi, what do you think about teaching young people some skills that like many, you know, I hate to say it, millennials, many of you guys got your first apartments without knowing how to do anything for yourself. Maybe home ec would have helped you. What do you think, Ravi? First of all, that's not specific to us as millennials. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what, what, what school you went to. I'm sure they were like, here's how to, you know, apartment in life. Like, you, that, that's not a thing that happens in school. Now, what kind of skills are we talking about here? This is a traditional district school course. Like, you know, it's, you'll find it in old school schools. Yeah, we used to have, what did we have? We had... Uh, we had a personal finance -y type of thing. I never had home ec, though. I mean, it's all in the execution. Like, what are we talking about? You know, like, I think a lot of this stuff often is when it comes to personal finance and things like that, I think those are some of the most important classes you could teach anybody, period. And if this is part of that, I'm very into it, you know. 
So I'm Gen X. I was a latchkey kid. I was expected to like wash my own clothes by 10. Uh, I was expected to get home. And in kindergarten, I was a latchkey. So I'd get home in kindergarten by myself. The key was under the mat. I would let myself in, make myself a goober sandwich, which was basically, if people can remember, there was macaroni. I'm not sorry, not macaroni. There was peanut butter and jelly in the same jar. And you would like scoop it out, put it on this crazy bread my mom used to buy, this dark bread and whatever. And I'd feed myself. By the time that I got my first apartment, I had roommates that didn't know how to iron a shirt. They didn't know how to make craft mac and cheese. I just remember looking at them and marveling at them like, what kind of charmed life did you have? Did you have like <laughs> butlers or something? <laughs> well, we used to have a class called hygiene in middle school, meaning when I went to middle school. And that was a good class because it would teach you things like the difference between deodorant and antiperspirant. <laughs> uh, you think this is a joke? <laughs> like, like this is really important. Uh, a lot of that. like, look, like I, people like me. My dad wasn't around when I was a kid for most of my childhood. Like, you just don't have somebody that how to tie a tie. Like, mm -hmm. these are really important things. And you know, I'd talk to anybody who didn't have their dad around like one of the most frustrating experiences you can ever have is trying to tie a tie by yourself because you, it's, it's really hard to do. There was no YouTube back then. And it just makes you get frustrated because it reminds you your dad isn't around. You know, it's one of the most demeaning moments I think a teenager or a kid can have is when they have to go through that. And then, you know, potentially you show up somewhere and your tie is not tied right. Somebody pulls you aside. You know how many times that happened to me as a kid? Um, so if that's the kind of stuff... I'm all for it. And then hygiene also touched on drugs and things like that, like drugs, STDs, stuff like that, which like Lord knows, like these, you know, with everything we've been talking about on this podcast, like I'm sure the conversation around STDs is fraught to say the least, you know? You know, my son's life skills, he told me, I didn't know he had this class. And I said, what the hell is life skills? Because, you know, I'm getting real nervous about them taking classes that are going to they're in high school that are going to matter for college. And it just sounded like one of those, you know, kind of goofy classes, electives. But anyways, it's budgeting, nutrition, meal planning, and things like investing, the stock market, how interest works. Um, so they did like a whole period of time where they had fake accounts to invest. And I thought that was really cool until he told me, he said, he asked the teacher if the teacher had any investments or stocks or anything. And the teacher said, no, I don't really do it. <laughs> oh, you mean <laughs> invest in the stocks? Yeah. Well, I mean, he might be misunderstanding what the teacher is saying. The teacher could be saying they don't pick individual stocks, uh, which would be actually smart. You know, yeah, they say they you do like mutual funds or something. Yeah. Index funds. Yeah. You know, that's what they say. If you don't basically even institutional investors when they pick stocks underperform the market, they say on average, especially when you take into account fees. So yeah. maybe they're just doing the smart thing. But you shout out to Mr. Aquista, by the way. I had a, uh, I had a, what was it? What did we call it? It was like a personal economics class. And he taught us all about Roth IRAs and things like that. He passed away during the COVID pandemic, but he, that was so important. Like I look back on that now and he was explaining like what it means to be pre-tax investable income and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like blown away by compound interest and things like that. Like when you explain that. And you've done pretty well in that area. I can remember you and I talking and like, yeah. you, you said something where it was like something I should have known and I wasn't doing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally doing that or whatever. I, <laughs> I, I would say this, I do well, but I think so much about like outside of the boring stuff in personal economics is luck, right? Like I've gotten lucky on some investments over the past few years, but I would say like 
and, and, and by and large, those are things that sh I shouldn't be doing, right? Like picking stocks and things like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of the stuff I do is the unsexy stuff. You should just put money in, in index funds. And then there's a huge debate right now about like some, what people would say is mythology around like the mix of bonds and stocks and all that kind of stuff. I won't go into that, but I have like a, a high risk portfolio on purpose just because I'm decades away from retiring. Yeah. On this one, I think they can combine what you just said into a skills class, a class that teaches you many things like, you know, about how to live and how to be, but also how to handle your money. That would be great because it would be great for the country for more people to be like that. So story number two, the CNN is reporting that there is a finance worker at a multinational firm who was tricked into paying $25 million to fraudsters using deep fake technology to pose as the company's chief financial officer. This just had me thinking, it's not just about this one episode or this one incident. It made me think, are we going to see a crime wave, an AI crime wave that we for can't sure. foresee right now? It's already happening right now. I, have you looked in your junk email folder, by the way? Like no, if you're, I haven't. If you're anything, <laughs> <Why>? What's there? <laughs> I'll do it right now. The amount of sort of scammy emails, like some of these are just AI generated. You're going to you know, scare me here. No, it's just like, okay, this is, this is all today, by the way. HR manager candidates. Hey, Ravi, fellow Binghamton Bearcats. Uh, which is not a thing you say, by the way, if you went to Binghamton undergrad like I did. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's just like tons of emails like this, which are just like, and now look, I, I know not to click on those things, but what, you know, you could ask Mickey, you know, our producer, there were members of the branch team who were receiving emails from me from another email address mm. that were like saying, hey, Mickey, I really need you to up or to download this file or whatever, like applying that was like a podcast link or something, something like that, right? And it, like multiple members of my team were getting emails from an email claiming to be me. Uh, and it looked like they were for, legit from you. Yeah. In this case, yeah. though, Ravi, this guy had, you know, the, the video technology for AI has been terrible. You know, it's, it's been like, it gives you four chins. It hasn't been great. It's been getting progressively better, right? Like, so now it's to the point where it's really, your, your naked eye should be able to detect there's something weird happening, but it's getting to the point where, especially like if you wear glasses like I do, that some of it's going to be passable real quick. It seems like with every technology, we don't pay attention to the human nature, which is to find a way to either do one or two things with it, um, porn or crime. So when the internet came out, how can porn use it? How can crime use it? And you know, now we have, I forgot what the, the amount is, but we spend billions in, in protecting ourselves from you know, cyber crimes uh, and from you know, explicit material. So it seems that that's AI, we're on the verge of, of that. You know, one question before we move off of that story, is this like like not a big deal to you or is this kind of like, you know, where would you put this in medium, moderate, not a big deal, we'll take care of it, it'll be fixed? I think this is a huge deal. I mean, we'll have to take care of it. I mean, people adjust. And I think what wind up, what may wind up happening is like a reversion to in-person physical, you know, valid identity validation, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. like I don't know what that looks like because obviously you know, like one thing you could do, you know, like an interesting thing is like your computer's ability to look at you or your phone and know it's you and then open your phone, right? Now, could you do that digitally? Could AI recreate that and show it something? And 
I don't know. Like, I don't know enough, but, uh, but I do think like this is going to just create more sophisticated schemes. They're going to need to be more protections. I think the elderly in particular, uh, which soon, you know, you Gen Xers are basically getting there. My dad has gotten, uh, he's been a victim of this kind of stuff and has lost some money. Uh, nothing like backbreaking, but where he's like sent money because he got tricked, you know, and, and his computer was frozen and stuff like that. I can remember years ago that, you know, well, first of all, I remember sending my very first email. I sent it and I forgot who I sent it to. And I sat there and I waited for something to happen and nothing happened. Like, I just thought this is how new it was to me was like, you know, it's my first email. So I sat there just like looking at the screen and I thought something would come right back and nothing did. But I, you know, I got, I got sophisticated really quick and I used to give my mom a hard time because they would get you know, their generation, the boomers would get these emails that say, if you forward this, Bill Gates will send you a thousand dollar check. Or if you forward this to your friends, you'll get free tickets to Disneyland. And I can remember this thinking like, God, how can they fall for that? And today I'm thinking, what am I going to fall for? Right? Like what's going to be my version of what they fell for? Because, you know, you're Gen X. Well, you're not Gen X, but us Gen Xers think that we're like kind of, you know, cutting edge. And, you know, we were, we were the beginning of everything, like all this, we couldn't possibly we're going to be fooled by something. And, and our kids are going to laugh at us. They're, they're going to say, how'd you fall for that? All right. So story number three, this is one that I think is, would be interesting to hear whether or not it's on your worrisome or not worrisome list. Voluntary Mind Control, the new scientist, which is a magazine, if you guys don't know, has a story about Neuralink. It's Elon Musk's project that aims to meld human thought with technology through brain-computer interfaces, promising to revolutionize interactions with technology, offering potential benefits such as restoring mobility and sight and facilitating direct communication with devices. Uh, it's in its first human trial right now. It's underway. And they're stepping into what everybody's calling uncharted territory, but I'm calling it something different. I'm calling it scary as hell. Like you would put a chip in your... So, so, so just think about this for a second. Right now, and the, the topic we're going to talk about today, social media, we're going to be talking about social media companies. And we've been having a long-term conversation about how much of their, your data they scrape, how much privacy invasions there is. When you use like Google products, how much of that is is being used for their marketing they take your information uh they can read your your messages and all that and we've we've become numb to that right but now imagine that they just put a chip in your head that it's not your devices it's not like on your devices it's literally in your brain that they can capture things from i know i sound like a crazy person but it sounds to me like a crazy person who would want to put a chip in their damn head what do you think ravi are you worried we're getting into weird territory here. Well, I, I think there's, I, I think enhanced humans are coming. So I think when it comes to uh, genetic editing technology, like CRISPR combined with things like this, like, you know, augmentation, right? This is just coming, you know, like different sci-fi films and books like Gattaca long predicted this and it's coming. Uh, I think you and I are lucky enough to probably be dead by the time most of this really becomes too dominant, I would say, or at least out <laughs> of the lucky. <laughs> yeah, well, or, or I think I think we'll be either dead or retired. I don't know if I'll ever retire, but like of the retirement age, by mm -hmm. the time this stuff starts really getting weird, uh, I do think your kids and definitely grandkids. This is going to be the world they live in. And it's not one I would want to live in. Yeah, I can think about my kids. You know, it hit me the other day. This is something that should always hit you. Is that you're looking, you're actually 
with kids right now that are going to be alive in like 2090 and 2080 and like, man, that's going to, you know, I'm not going to be there, but it's going to be really an interesting world. If this is where we are now, I just would love to have a time machine and go ahead and see what that's about. But let's jump into today's big topic. We're going to talk about social media and specifically this is, this comes to be an issue for us because last week on Wednesday, the CEOs of Meta, TikTok, X, and other social media companies went before the Senate Judiciary committee to testify about lawmakers and parents' concern about the effects of social media on the lives of young people, and specifically around the safety of young people, because this is no longer just about privacy. It's being it's being likened to tobacco in terms of an addictive product and, and worse, like porn and, and grooming as a threat to young people's existence. So we have this clip. Why don't we listen to this clip? Senator Hawley facing off, squaring off with TikTok's president. Let me just ask you, why should your platform not be banned in the United States of America? You are owned by a Chinese communist company or a company based in China. The editor-in-chief of your parent company is a Communist Party secretary. Your company has been surveilling Americans for years. According to leaked audio from more than 80 internal TikTok meetings, China-based employees of your company have repeatedly accessed non-public data of United States citizens. Your company has tracked journalists improperly gaining access to their IP addresses, user data, in an attempt to identify whether they're writing negative stories about you. Why should your, your platform is basically an espionage arm for the Chinese Communist Party. Why should you not be banned in the United States of America? Okay, so that felt like an awful lot of grandstanding to me, and it's everything that I hate about Congress right now, performative theater that insults the intelligence of people watching. Um, that is nothing but a string of loaded questions that are not seeking to bring light to an issue or to make us smarter about it, but it's really just kind of like partisan theater. It's the, the grandstanding. In this case, it's bipartisan theater for a couple of reasons, but I love your take on just that interaction because I feel like you might be a little bit more measured than I am about it and in how quick I'm going to be to discount everything that Holly just said. But, you know, help me out here. What's the what's the balance of where I shouldn't feel bad for the CEO for wasting his time to come and participate in something where he's going to be asked questions that he can't answer? Well, I, I think a couple, I think how I feel about Josh Holly, who I know I knew personally, we went to school together and he's been a kind of a disappointing person personally. For me, I just, I could go there. But I do think there are a couple of things. One is I think TikTok and these social media platforms are some of the most important assets in this country. It, they're, they've captured the attention of so many young and old, you know, young people and older, but especially the young people. And so I think like control of those assets is a national security risk. That's sort of assumption number one. Number two is that TikTok and their parent company are controlled by the uh, government of China. We can go into that, but they're a, any company that is headquartered in China and comes out of China is subject to very strict laws, regulations. And there's even, then Holly goes back and forth with him over this, but there are even very particular overlaps, not just beyond being in China, but the fact that their editor in chief, for example, is a pretty senior figure within the Communist Party in China. So that, so with that in mind, and, and this is not just any foreign country, it's an adversary, it's an authoritarian regime who has over and over and over again shown itself to be committed to aggressive 
anti-American activities uh, and espionage, and also has committed a genocide in Western China against its own people, uh, and you know is is seems poised to uh, invade Taiwan. I could go on. I mean, they're just not a friendly country to the United States. So I think the question of and 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 with all that, then. The, the parent company committed to walling off data from China and didn't. The Wall Street Journal six days ago wrote an article about this, where they basically detailed that all these promises to wall off data are just not, they're not there. Uh, it's a broken promise. So with all that, I think they should ban TikTok in the United States or force them to sell off to a company based in the United States that doesn't have a relationship with the Chinese government. And I have other opinions about the grandstanding and all that, because their Congress they, if they want to do this, they should do it. I don't know why they just keep bringing these people over and trying to shame them who are running these companies. Do it or don't. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. You know? So that's my opinion on TikTok, which I know you're going to hate because you love TikTok. You're, you're a Gen Zer at heart. Well, you know, I do use TikTok, but I hate artifice more than I love TikTok. I hate phony. And if you wanted to have a conversation about Chinese influence in the United States, you could pull all the Chinese companies before Congress. And that list would be goddamn long if you did that. And that list of the number of them that scrape data from their customers that do business every day, and we don't even know they're Chinese companies, that could be its own hearing. That could be a totally separate hearing from how to keep kids safe on social media. And I would be interested in hearing that conversation because you know, a lot of these Congress people are invested in countries that are doing all kinds of business in China and have all kinds of privacy violations. You know, their, their buddy Elon Musk actually is helping dictators to censor information on Twitter, right? So this thing around TikTok being some sort of special threat when we have Apple doing business in China in a way that has all of our data kind of having us vulnerable to, to data situations, that's one thing. The second thing about just saying communist over and over and over again about a country, you know, making ties, making insinuations without explaining what the insinuation is. Is there a legitimate situation where we think that China is different than Russia and Iran and any other country that is, is including ourselves, that are engaged in kind of espionage and warfare, but friendly, like frenemies, you know, like all these countries, all of us included, have relationships with countries where they're spying on us and they're trying to do all kinds of stuff with data at the same time that they're shaking our hands and doing business, right? So I think that the animus with TikTok specifically is because you've seen it in the media all this time, is that there's this idea that TikTok is actually influencing the youth to be to have very specific opinions that the, the old guard and traditionalist and old people don't like, right? And they didn't like it when hippie music used to like make kids like grow their hair long and have sex in the streets or whatever they used to do back in the 60s. I can. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But, you know, anyways, that's just my response to this grandstanding part. I'm open to, though, any real information about the fact that it presents a real danger that's unique to TikTok in China. I, I just will say this one last thing. It went into some really racist territory with this specific CEO out of all of them. With I think it was Tom Cotton just kept asking him about being Chinese. And the guy's like, I'm not Chinese. Like, I don't live in China. From Singapore. Like, I don't know yeah. why you keep asking me Chinese questions, right? <laughs> well, okay. Like, that, that was a bad interaction. But, it, like, asking him if he's Chinese to me is different than asking him about his relationship to the government of China. Very different questions, right? Now, yeah. the examples you gave, which is Iran and Russia... 
those are two countries where there are very aggressive sanctions to do any business with those two countries. Like if you or I wanted to contract with an Iranian supplier to make widgets, we couldn't do it. Like you just, you can, you're legally not allowed to do it. I absolutely agree with you on on the fact that we are taking measures against these other countries. So I don't want to sound like I think we're being weak on them. I will just say you did not have any Republican support to go after all the ties that Americans had to Russia over the last four or five years. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, and that's their hypocrisy they need to iron out. I think uh, the other piece is there are credible claims when it comes to China, right? Like a good example was uh, a former employee, this guy, Yintao Yu, came forth alleging that TikTok gave access to the Chinese government to use backdoor data to spy on protesters during the Hong Kong protests. There have been other allegations that they uh, use their access to data to target journalists who are write articles that are critical of the Chinese government. Like, so giving, so this question of like the access to this data is a big one. It also gives, I think, the Chinese government a huge trove of data that about trends, you know, with American kids and what's trending generally and how to manipulate information for their gain. And it is interesting to me that they don't even allow their own young people to use this technology. They have a different version of it that is way more restrictive for their young people. So I would be, and and also we, we have banned other technologies like the, I don't know how to say the name of this phone called Huawei phones are not allowed in the United States for this very reason which is messed up. I'm a tech influencer and I love my tech and the fact that we can't get Huawei, Yahweh items in the United States. And then nobody asks what we, you, you want to look at the list of the things China doesn't allow from the US to China. It's way longer, way longer list. Like when it comes to trade. But we're not in a race to be China though. Well, okay. Well, those are two different points though. Yeah. We're not in our arms race to become like, you know, to have a, a repressive government. But there is a question of reciprocity when it comes to trade, right? We shouldn't be fools when it comes to international trade. We shouldn't That's open true. ourselves up for competition and, you know, the free flow of goods and potentially, you know, potential technology that could be used against us to spy on us or whatever, or journalists or pro-democracy people. We shouldn't just open ourselves up and not ask for anything in return, right? And in this case, I think we're not asking for enough in return because we're so addicted to this sort of global international trade uh, and so many of our companies d- depend upon them. We don't have a supply chain in the United States, period. So we're so afraid to piss off these countries at this point, which in a way, you know, they say if goods are flowing across borders, troops aren't flowing across borders. That's sort of the, the sort of saying. And, and I think there's some truth to that. I do think there's some positive, extensive positive, uh, you know, effects from our international trade with China. I just don't think we're asking enough and we're not doing enough. You know what I wish, Robbie? Because, you know, you sound reasonable. You sound like a reasonable person. I really wish that Congress, if they wanted to take on serious issues, they would put forth their serious people and have these kind of telegenic assholes take a step back and just say, no, this is really important for us and for our kids. We're going to need you just to step back because you're good for the theatrics. And all that does is build cynicism in people like me because I see you not doing anything about our relationship with the Saudis not doing anything about our relationship or the attacks that we've had, the cyber attacks from Russia that we've had, not doing anything for the Chinese companies that you have investments in. I pulled up something this morning to see how many people in Congress have investments in some of these companies that they're actually railing on right now. And there are members of Congress that actually are railing on a company that they have literally have their money in. 
Um, so if it's so bad, if it's so bad, if they're so bad, you should probably pull all your money out of them. You should stop trading in meta stock. I just wish we weren't in a place of such profound dishonesty based on political gain that we could trust Congress and trust these hearings and trust that they're ju- just not gotcha fests, but they're like sincere attempts to keep us safe and to discuss issues from a point of view that's not even partisan. Just like it is what it is. We want to keep kids safe. They're just, uh, there's lots of information. I looked at 16 studies as, you know, for this discussion that we had today. And I compiled notes from those 16 studies. It was really about the harm and the potential benefits of social media for young people. And I looked at both. What are the harms and what are the benefits? And none of that was represented in my mind in that discussion that I saw. Well, let's look at this. Okay, so let's go to the heart of the because there's so much attention got was the TikTok conversation, which was almost a separate conversation than the one that was happening between these senators and the rest of the social media companies. Let's go to uh, Holly's back and forth with Mark Zuckerberg, which, if you could believe it or not, listeners, was even more heated than what you just heard. <laughs> yeah, you've got families from across the nation whose children are either severely harmed or gone, and you don't think it's appropriate to take a, talk about steps that you took? The fact that you didn't fire a I, single person? To, let me I'm ask you this, let me ask you this. Have you compensated any of the victims? Sorry? Have you compensated any of the victims? I, These I, girls, I, have you compensated them? I don't believe so. You, why not? Don't you think they deserve some compensation for what your platform has done? Help Senator, with counseling services, help with dealing with the issues that your your services cause our, our job is to make sure that we build tools to help keep people safe are you going to platform. compensate them senator our job and what we take seriously is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money to take it off the services uh, to make money and to build tools that empower parents so you didn't take any people. action you didn't that's take any true, action senator. you didn't fire anybody you haven't that's compensated a single not, victim let me ask you this let me ask you this there's families of victims here today have you apologized to the victims would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I think the people, the person who needs to be apologizing is Josh Hawley and the rest of those senators. Every, they, they should apologize for wasting everybody's time. Zuckerberg's time, my time, your time, our audience's time to have to talk about this because they've been hauling these people out in front of Congress now for like a decade and nothing has happened. So either do something or shut up. Uh, that's my feeling, right? Like, I, and I have my opinions about whether they should regulate or not. And and honestly, like I used to be way harder on Zuckerberg on this kind of stuff. They have made some changes for sure. But also like the Republican Party doesn't operate under this sort of assumption that the, that the reason why companies, there was back and forth over liability. Will Zuckerberg take responsibility and pay for the victims of this and that? And I'm like, in what world is that the Republican position in any other sector, private sector? The reason why it's harder to sue companies today than it's ever been before is in part because Republicans have helped craft legislation to shield corporations from liability in so many different areas of life. Why are there so many monopolies? Well, in part because Republicans have appointed people to the judiciary who take a very narrow view of the antitrust laws. Now, and I'm like you, 
lean libertarian as Democrat. I don't think all those things are necessarily bad. I, I'm not as far as they are. I, I'm way more skeptical of consolidation in certain industries, for instance, meatpacking industry, for example, than I would say most Republicans are. I do think competition is important. I do think that government has a role to step in and create that competition. But where's the responsibility? Parents have responsibility. The kids themselves have responsibility. Uh, the yes, the social media companies have responsibility. Congress has responsibility. The schools have responsibility. And I don't like this assumption that it's Zuckerberg's fault that all this stuff is going on. Because if it weren't for Mark Zuckerberg, if you if you were to shut down Facebook tomorrow and Meta tomorrow, uh, it won't make a damn difference. Something else will rise up and take kids' attention. I think you're seeing the weird kind of the translucent hypocrisy and dishonesty of the Republican Party in a couple ways. Uh, for all of my lifetime, they did not want to tell business what to do or how to run their business. And in this specific case, one of the things that they have against Zuckerberg is that they wanted him to hire like a whole new sloth of people, um, like a whole new department of people that work just on this issue, even as their big buddy, Elon Musk. The first thing he did was fire all those people and say they were redundant, you know, said they're just redundant, right? Like, you know, fire all these people. What the hell are they doing here? But now they want Zuckerberg to, to hire all these people. So there's there's that. There's this, there's other thing, too. If you think it's so harmful, like I don't do crack because I think crack is harmful. But you you use Facebook, right? You you, you do, Josh Holly and every other one of you here. You use all of these social media platforms, which to me proves we all know that there's a pro-social benefit to this. It's not tobacco. It's not guns. It's not any of the things that we that we can just rail on that have no, I think, good benefit. Um, that aside, I will say this, and this is going to be provocative, and you're going to beat me up for this, but listen, if I'm being provocative, there is nothing more damaging to children and more harmful than, than children, to children than a Republican. If there is one great threat to healthy children in the United States, it's Republicans. They are actually worse than the, the cigarette companies, They're worse than the gum, gun companies. When you don't want kids to have healthy water and live in decent housing and to have school lunch or to have health benefits or to have wellness checks or to have systems that support your healthy development and growth, when you don't want those things, you don't get to grandstand about protecting our children, right? Because like, my children are protected by me, and I am not voting for the nonsense that you're voting for. I'm voting for us to have healthy Americans. Well, I'm not going to go there, you know, as somebody who runs a nonprofit <laughs> media company. I'm not here to, to call out any particular political party. But I, on, on your earlier point, what's interesting to me is these guys are not just grandstanding. They're grandstanding so that they can go viral which is the irony of this whole thing. They want to go viral on the very platforms that they're castigating up there. Oh, that's such a good point. Now, what, what else was happening? You know, what else happened when Zuckerberg turned around? People who are listening to this you, and, and not looking at the video, what you didn't see, uh, what you can't tell from the audio is behind all the parents is a gaggle of media who almost to a person, they pulled out their phone and were, t were, were took out, pulled out their phone and were taking photos and posting. And where, Robbie, where are they going to put those photos? Yeah, where are they going to put those photos, right? <laughs> so we're all implicated. Like, mm -hmm. listen, mm -hmm. like you at home, me, you, Chris, we, it, we, if nobody's going to come rescue us, nobody's going to come rescue our attention. Nobody's going to come rescue our kids. We have to do it. We have to have sound policies. Anybody who's listening to me here or in any other podcast knows I take a pretty restrictive view when it comes to the role of phones in schools. I would do it if I had kids in my house as well. And that's where it starts. Like, I think if I had children, I have a particular view 
of how I would teach them to, and in some cases require them while they're under my care to engage on social media for certain periods of their life. And uh, when I ran schools, I was fairly restrictive when it came to using phones throughout the building. And I would be just as much, if not more today. That's my view. And I, cause I view that I, I, cause I view myself as having a role in this process. I don't think Zuckerberg is responsible for what happens within my school or within the four walls of my apartment. I mean, we used to talk a lot about parent responsibility, you know, Stephen Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and a lot of these guys that own these companies don't let their own kids use the product that they they put out into the world. And that's been used to diss them. But in some ways, it could be used to diss us when you ask the question, wait a second, wait a second. So all those kids had something harmful happen to them from social media and you're clapping because they're getting, they're beating up Zuckerberg. But did Zuckerberg give your kids a phone? Did Zuckerberg let you have your kids let them take their phone into their room at night? Because Zuckerberg doesn't do that for his kids. And actually, as it turns out, a lot of Americans don't. A lot of Americans, not every American is doing this with their kids, by the way. Just let, let's, let's be real a little bit. Sometimes we talk about these things like everybody's doing it. Well, not everybody, <laughs> right? Not everybody's doing it. So until Mark Zuckerberg shows up in my house and hands a phone to my kid. Well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, Chris, would you jump off a bridge? <laughs> would you jump off the bridge? <laughs> Look, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, cliches are here for a reason. Yeah, that's a good one, though. <laughs> yeah, they're here for a reason. Well played, my friend. Well played. Well, listen, here's something I don't think that we did a good job that I didn't do a good job of blaming you for it. But here's the balance. So the risks of social media research has consistently highlighted the various risks associated with excessive social media use by youth, including increased anxiety, depression, negative body image, addiction, cyberbullying, misinformation, sleep problems, which is a very big issue with schools now and reduced social skills. It has also been shown to um, the lack of attention actually affects your cognitive ability. So it is having an impact for some kids on schools. The couple of points here to point out that are really important, the poorer you are, the more you use it. Um, so the more it's your main form of entertainment. So all these things that I just said, in terms of negatives, they hit the poor more than they hit anybody else. Because, you know, people who have other things to do in life, like horseback riding or lacrosse like i got a kid that does lacrosse or you know i have a daughter that's in dance multiple times a week and it's not inexpensive and if they weren't doing those things they probably would be on social media more and they would have all these uh, these range of negative things more and it is having an impact on some of the schools here's some of the the benefits though the upside conversely social media offers youth invaluable opportunities for self-expression relationship building access to information learning and activism empowers them to find their voice, <clears throat> excuse me, connect with like-minded peers, access div uh, diverse viewpoints that they might not get in their own home or their own community, and mobilize for social causes they are passionate about. These platforms can serve as a vital space for creativity, support, learning, and contributing positively to their social and cognitive development. And that's not something you're going to hear everybody say or talk about, right? The upsides of these things. And that wasn't represented at all. There's the last thing, and I'll ask you what you think about this. Here's the net net of the, th the two things that I just said. There are two sets of, I think, prescriptions for how you fix this. One is regulation, and the other is education. So I think people like the Cato Institute and others would say that education is the right way to go. It's the right role of government to go and for the rest of us to go. If you think something is harmful, actually do a good job of investing in the education of people so that they don't have to be nannied. Uh, on these things. It's, it's not good for us to, to, to raise nanny people. But the flip side of that is, yeah, but for years, 
the cigarette companies sold cigarettes to 12 year olds, you know, on purpose. And actually they had internal memos saying that they were doing that. So without regulation, who knows if they would still be doing that. Where do you fall in the camp of regulation versus education? And and don't do a middle ground thing. If you ha- had to do one or the other. I, I'm, I'm very, it, what's interesting is you and I, I, I'm way less bullish on the benefits of these, but we come out the same side on the regulation, which is I'm education. I'm on the, I'm very heavy on the education side, and I don't like these the role of these technologies for the most part. Not for, I mean, I, I have a nuanced view for sure, but I certainly with kids, and I and I would want people to be fairly restrictive when it comes to these things. Uh, one one last thing I forgot to mention to show you how irrelevant Congress is. Uh, do you know how much? So you would think. Congress were so important in this world. You'd think this when they drag out Mark Zuckerberg and castigate him, make him apologize to families. You you would think if they had this major role, people thought they were relevant. You'd think the stock of Meta would tank. Well, in the past five days, the Meta stock has increased fourteen point twenty two percent. Fourteen point twenty in five days, and since the start of the year, let's look at this. Thirty three. We're, we're in Fe- it's February 5th as we're recording this, and the stock is up 33.31%. That's how irrelevant Congress is. The market looked at that hearing and said, all right, <laughs> like moving on. <laughs> so, Robbie, to that point, I think you should also look up do you approve or disapprove of the way Congress, Congress is handling its job as of December of last year, which I know that there's probably more updated? It was 82% disapprove of Congress. There is actually very few things that are less popular than Josh Hawley's group of peers, right? Like his, his group of peers, as they grandstand and say the American people, this and that and the other, the American people don't like you, man. Like the American people think you're kind of not doing your job. None of you guys are doing your job. And that's not specific to Republicans. They're all not seen uh, as doing their job. So you would side with education though. And you would think that we could correct some of the problems and, and probably I bet you would say some reasonable restrictions on social media. Now, let me ask you if you think these are things are reasonable. So Florida is, is passing a, a law to ban uh, social media for everybody 16 and under. So the, all these companies would have to either stop doing business with, you know, with young people or people in Florida, uh, or they would have to submit to some verification um, means that require them to do biometrics or, or get your state ID. To, to sign up for there. So if I lived in Florida, I would have, to, and I wanted a, a Facebook account, I would have to let them scan my biometrics and I would have to give them my government ID. Now, in terms of fixes for things, this is like those, those medical commercials where they tell you that this helps you with something, but then they list these long list of bad, you know, negative things, you know, like <laughs> might cause involuntary farts and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. What do you think about the unintended con- consequences of to get a Facebook account, you have to give up your biometrics? So I know I said I'm on the education side of things, uh, but I would like to see a few states do this because I would like to see what happens. Not like in a like, <laughs> like, like I really want to see the data. Like if ki- if this winds up leading to a massive uh, increase in teen mental health and uh, performance in academics and you know, all this, like all this positive stuff, like if this, if this truly happens then, and, and maybe less predatory behavior and all this kind of stuff, then that's an important data point. And I, I'm, if, if we're going to have this crazy mixed up federalist system, let's damn well use it, you know, like let's use it. So, um, so this is where I'm going to, I'm going to 
point to Todd Rose, his stuff about averages. So what will happen is, Robbie, in my case, what I think will happen is that you will say on average, their, their health went up. Oh, you're already, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready getting ready to dismiss the data that's coming. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think Todd Rose dismisses, dismisses data. I think Todd Rose is the one who proved to you that when the, when the Air Force used average height for a pilot and they made their cockpits for the average size, they learned that there was no such thing as an average size. We'll just use median. Uh, <laughs> So do you think if the Air Force had done median size instead of making the seats adjustable? Well, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. Resist? So for people listening to this, there's an example in Todd Rose's book, The End of Average, where he talks about the fact that on average was a thing, you know, where we would always say on average. And the Air Force was making their cockpits based upon the average pilot. And because of that, there was no such thing as an average, you know, an average is, you know, kind of a middle between between things or whatever. They were having plane crashes, especially with taller pilots. And when they figured it out, the fix was to make adjustable seats, not to make use, use on average. So this is the reason I'm bringing it up now, Robbie, with what you're saying is we will say on average, some kids are, you know, most kids are whatever. They had some health benefits. And we will ignore the fact that you also have just hurt another group of people that were doing just fine. Like if you don't like online schooling, don't do online schooling. If you don't want to have an abortion, don't have an abortion. If you don't want to be trans, don't be trans. If you don't want to use social media, don't use social media. But don't tell everybody else what they can't do because you can't regulate yourself, right? That's kind of my libertarian-ish sense of all of this is I don't love these tech companies or these tech guys. I actually, but the thing that... I love less than them is is the idea that you would just make blanket laws. I live in Florida. I still want to be a free American. I still want a free American. I still want to make those decisions for myself. I, I don't want my state to tell me, well, we're this kind of state now and we get to just take your rights from you because we want to be an outlier of all states. Anyways, that's heavy handed. I know. Let's wrap this train. Let's roll into what I call co-host corner where we hear from, we get a fresh voice. So Ravi brings an issue to the table uh, in this section of our conversation. Let's do that now. So Ravi, what are you bringing to the table for us to discuss? Well, this is less an issue than just uh, an experience where, have you seen this movie American Fiction? No. Are you familiar with it? Not even a little bit. I mean, I've heard the name. Well, let me, let me school you on some black excellence, Chris. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, let's, let's do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm so ready for this. Uh, I'm so excited to, to utter that statement. Okay, so <laughs> this, is, this is a movie that is nominated for Best Picture. I watched it last night. And I was blown away by this movie. And, and to take a step back, my get off my lawn point is there are so many bad movies that have come out recently that are acclaimed. Like, I think a good example is like Killers of the Flower Moon, where Martin Scorsese, like, the movie is so freaking long, doesn't have an editor, and honestly just wasn't good. And everybody I've talked to who's seen it feels the same way, yet I feel like it's an emperor has no clothes situation because it's Scorsese and everybody's like, who are critics don't want to criticize him. But the movie sucked, and I have so many experiences watching movies like that. So it was a breath of fresh air to watch this movie, which is, I thought it was a masterpiece, and I'm really excited to see it hopefully do well at the Oscars. And it stars Jeffrey Wright, who I think is amazing, who plays this, this fiction writer and professor who he writes this book. I always think you and I could do a segment on it because I think it would be, there's so much to unpack 
he writes books and he's he's like adjacent to the sort of Coleman Hughes, Thomas Chatterton Williams. They don't really outright say it, but they're just like, he's kind of this guy who, he's like adjacent to the colorblind types. But he's not actually, and over the course of the movie, you, you, you see that he's way more nuanced than that. And they have some funny scenes where he's talking about being like the equivalent of colorblind and, and a cab goes past him and picks up a white person. So, so the movie has a really good sense of humor around this. But it it basically is about him writing these books because he wants to be known as a writer, not a black writer. And he's like, there's like a scene in the movie that's kind of funny where he goes into a bookstore and he's like in the African-American literature section and he like forces the clerk to move him to the literature section because he's like, why am I in this? Like, and it's like, it raises all these questions. And the Issa Rae character plays this woman who basically has decided that the public publishing industry wants like the equivalent of like Ebonics literature. And so she like leans into it and there's like this, and it's like, and it's like this funny, it basically, and, and he goes in the, the, the Jeffrey Wright character basically because of a family tragedy and financial reasons decides to write a book that he think the publishers want. And he does it under an alias. And it's all about him dealing with the fame of this book that he wrote as a caricature. Right. It is a brilliant movie. And it was super nuanced. It is not like, for people listening, it's not a, it's not clear cut. Like I don't, it, the message isn't what people think it is. And I think it kind of comes out super nuanced, but it is, it, it is amazing on a couple of different levels. First of all, it's, I think the best screenplay I've, I, I didn't read it, but you just listening to it, I think is the best screenplay I've come across in a while. Two is it has this cast, Jeffrey Wright, Sterling K. Brown, Erica Alexander, if you remember her from Living Single and Cosby mm -hmm. Show, Issa Rae, Tracy Ellis Ross, Adam Brody, John Ortiz, Keith David. Like, I mean, these are, just, it was like the, one of the most incredible casts. And Sterling K. Brown, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, was outrageously good in this film. I, I really hope he wins Best Supporting Actor. So I, I just want you to watch it. And I want us to talk about it because I thought it was A++++. Well, I'm going to watch it, but I will say to you with social media, I think this topic lands for us in a good place where we have to balance out what we think are the the role of regulation and the role of education in important issues like this, like how we keep our kids safe, but how we also allow enough freedom and privacy for people to live the lives that they want to live. So social media has been one of those things where there is an upside to it. It's an obvious upside. There are some pro-social benefits to us being able to connect with each other, for us to be able to meet with people that don't live in our bubble and people that don't live right near us. Uh, one of the earliest things that I remember about coming onto social media, coming online, was that I was talking to people all over the world. My kids do talk to people all over the world. They're not always talking to people that are scary and that have a problem. So there's this duality of the mirrors of the social tensions when it comes to social media. On the one hand, there's a quest for digital connection versus the pitfalls that such an endeavor brings in any era where online interaction is ubiquitous as it is now in the United States. So, as always, I just will say that I fall on the side of a libertarianish perspective on this in that I think we do need some, some common sense safeguards to make sure that kids are safe. And at the same time, though, I don't think we should be passing heavy-handed laws that put all the blame on the companies and do nothing to make us have agency for ourselves, for our kids, and for our communities. As always, we really appreciate you uh, sticking with us this long. If you made it to this section of the, of the show, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We'll catch you on the next episode. 
The Citizen Stewart Show is a production of the Branch Media Podcast Network. I'm Chris Citizen Stewart. You can follow me at Citizen Stewart. You can follow Ravi at Ravi M. Gupta. You can follow all of the Branch's podcasts at The Branch Media on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And check out our website at thebranchmedia.org. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and subscribe to the show so you can join us every Tuesday for more of The Citizen Stewart Show.